Well, good morning. It is a joy, privilege, and honor to be with you. Um, my name is Travis, and uh, my wife Kimberly is is uh, with us this morning. My oldest son George, my youngest son John Michael, and we would um, we would love to meet you and spend lots of time with you after the service. However, my middle son Paul is being commissioned in his work at Camp Vesper Point at First Presbyterian this morning. And we're hoping to catch the end of that service and barring not making the end of the service, at least to give him a ride home. So um, his feelings will be hurt if we don't. So um, this morning, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be, begin um, my ministry among you by preaching from... Um, Kind of a life passage for myself, and uh, and I'm going to enter. I realize looking at the uh, and this is man, this is something. This uh, this order, this is, and I, I learned today this is a chancel. I, I didn't know that. And just tell you this too, I got um, in all my conversations with your elders coming here. I got asked a question I had not been asked in like 15 years. Do you own a robe? <laughs> yes, but the robe no longer recognizes me. So uh, here we are. Um, so I realize I'm supposed to read scripture at this point, but I'm going to introduce the scripture before I read it, which means actually that I'm reading the scripture in the middle of the sermon, but it'll be okay. So this morning we're going to talk about the story of Joseph, which is familiar, I'm sure, to most of you. Um, and I want to set this up just by all of us reminding ourselves that we, when we think about Joseph, we need to start by thinking about Abraham because God promised Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And, and just to say that, I realize that when we're here in Chattanooga with all of the moisture and humidity and sometimes a little bit of smog and, and then the light that we look up in the sky and we like, wow, there's a lot of stars. But that's not actually what Abraham saw when he looked up into the sky in the desert. What he saw was a blanket of stars that could not be distinguished one from the other. He saw the Milky Way, so many stars that they're actually uncountable because they're all just melded together. That's how your descendants will be, Abraham. And God tells Abraham that he's going to give him land, um, but that his descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. And they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years Afterward, they will come out with great possessions. So in the story of Joseph, what we actually see is God working out his promises that he made to his covenant people, to Abraham. And he does this even in the midst of their like knuckleheadedness and their weakness. And we call God's working out his plans providence. Right? The catechism says providence is God's most holy, wise, and powerful 
preserving and governing all of his creatures and all of their actions. It's not, it's not a word we use a whole lot today. It, several hundred years ago, we used the word so much that we could say providence in referring to God himself. George Washington referred to God almost exclusively as providence. So great was his understanding that God is moving around us all the time and governing everything. And we, we live in a world where people think usually one of two things. One, we tend to think that we're in control. We're just in control of everything. And of course, all kinds of things, car accidents, betrayals, sickness, all this will crush that illusion that we're in control. And then the other idea common today is the idea that the universe is just spinning mindlessly and we're victims of this chance and fate. Some people will say, um, how can there be a good God if there is so much evil in the world? And, and there's a lot of evil in the world. A lot of great mighty evil and a lot of weird mundane evil that we just encounter on a day-to-day -day basis. And the idea is if God can't stop the evil, he isn't God. But if he can stop the evil and he doesn't, then he's not good. And that's kind of like one of the big questions of philosophy. But the truth is that when we say that, it's usually a dodge because Actually, what we're concerned about, the question we have, is why is there so much evil in my life? Why do I have suffering? Why do people I love have suffering? And the story of Joseph addresses this question. I'd say it even answers it. So Abraham, back to Abraham, he has a son, Isaac. Isaac, one son, going to be descendants, as many as the stars, one son. Old dude, one kid, okay? Um, and his son Isaac, and Isaac has two sons, right? That's, we're, we're really doing great now, right? Um, Jacob and Esau. Esau is a hunter. He's super impulsive, sells his birthright for food. Jacob is dishonest, swindler. He steals Esau's blessing. I mean, this is a great start for the family. Um, God chooses Jacob to carry on his promises to Abraham and Jacob is gonna have 12 sons, which is a more helpful start. Two of these sons, Joseph and Benjamin, are sons of his beloved wife, Rachel. And he loves Joseph more than any of his other sons. So now y'all know kind of the story, at least the outline, right? Joseph is 17. His father in a perhaps ill-advised parenting move gives, I mean, gives his son a multicolored robe to show to everyone, you are my favorite, okay? Um, his brothers did not think that was awesome. And then Joseph, he has these dreams, right? It gets, it gets worse, so like um, in... <laughs> In his first dream, uh, he has like sheaves of grain in his, in his dream and that there's 11 sheaves of grain and they're bowing down before him and they're like, what? You have a dream and we're all gonna bow to you. And then, 
And then he has a dream, another dream where the sun, the moon, and 11 stars bow down to him. And he tells his whole family, and even his dad is like, um, Joseph, are your brothers, mom, and me going to bow down to you? Is that what you're saying? Um, anyway, it gets worse. Um, because Jacob because Jacob decides to use Joseph to be the one to check out his brothers, right? To see how they're doing with the family business, watching the flocks, right? So they have, they have plenty reason to resent him, but he, he actually like brings a bad report about his brothers to his father, right? The, he gets them in trouble. And so, you know, I guess this is continuing. And so he sends, um, he sends Joseph, hey, go find your brothers, bring me a report. And so they see Joseph coming from a long way off. And in between the time that they see Joseph and Joseph gets to them, they, they decide something that Joseph couldn't imagine. I mean, I think that if they would have decided to, I don't know, throw mud on him or something or call him names, he probably would have been expecting that. But between that, those two moments, they decide to kill him to kill him. And Reuben, one of his brothers, convinces them instead to throw him in a deep well that's empty, thinking that he'll get him out later. He's fine, but that's maybe murdering his brothers a little too far. Now, Joseph has to know his brothers don't like him, but it never enters his mind that they hate him that much, right? And some of us, some of you have experienced something like this, right? You had someone did something terrible to you that you never would have imagined. You never would have suspected. Could be a spouse you never thought would leave you or a friend that you didn't think would betray you. And, um, and what it brings is confusion. Why has this happened, right? Joseph is at the bottom of the well. Why has this happened? How did I end up here? Where is it going now? He has no idea. Joseph's brothers spot a caravan and they decide, all right, we're not gonna kill him, let's sell him. Says 20 shekels of silver. By the way, just a fun fact, if there are nerds here, I used to do nerd alerts at my church and the, People pull out their things to write, but um, you can date an episode um, by the price of a slave in ancient Israel because it was not a constant, but it, it rose at a, at a discernible rate. One of the things that shows that this episode that we have is actually dated to the time that it claims to be is for the price that he sold, and that was the price of a slave around the 18th century BC. 20 shekels of silver eight ounce, uh, that's about half a pound, maybe 50 bucks. So it means that his brothers make about five bucks each off of their brother's life. Five bucks each. They take his robe, they tear it, they cover it in goat's blood. And then they take the robe back to their father and they don't lie. They say, is this your son's robe? And Jacob is, I mean, overcome. He's like weeping, you know, 
And uh, it's like my, my son has been killed by a wild animal. And these guys, they're like, it, it says that they comforted him. Can you imagine, right? They're, they're like putting their arms around their father. They've sold him to slavery. I mean, they have every opportunity to say, Dad, we've blown it. We need to chase down these Ishmaelites and, and get Joseph back. I mean, we may have to pay 25 shekels. They'll be glad to take the five. I mean, we, we just were so mad at him. But no, they comfort him. And they don't tell him a thing. And so Joseph gets to Egypt and he's sold to an important Egyptian official. Now, most of us would have served the official because we don't want the beatings. We're afraid for our lives. We're just, most, most of us are just not that brave. And Joseph serves the official, but he, we would have done it grudgingly, but Joseph doesn't do it grudgingly. Joseph actually serves this official with his whole heart. He's just like, 100%, I'm gonna do this. He serves his master so well that his master prospers. The master's household is doing better after Joseph comes in than before. Now, Joseph's a young guy, different, mysterious. Master's wife is not a woman of high character and she casts an eye on Joseph. And she begins to desire Joseph and she asks Joseph to go to bed and he refuses. One, he's not gonna dishonor his master. And two, he's not gonna dishonor his God. Now, all of us, we hear this and we're like, okay, that's good. But you don't understand, Joseph is a slave. He has no power. And yet, he's gonna know and he runs. I mean, he actually leaves his, she, she like grabs his garment. She ends up with it. Um, his master comes home and she says, you brought this guy into our home for him to do this to me. And the master who probably knew that his wife was not a reliable reporter still has Joseph thrown in prison. Can you imagine? Bottom of the well, slave market, and now prison. God, what are you doing? Joseph does not know the end of this story. We're all listening to it. We know the end of the story. Joseph does not know the end of the story. He's taking a step down every single time. And so, again, having lost everything, <clears throat> young man, probably in his 20s, he tries to start over. They unchain him. He's, he actually is a man of such character that they put him in charge of the other inmates. He becomes a trustee in an Egyptian prison. And two, one day, just by chance, chance, two servants of the king are placed in prison with Joseph. And both of them end up having dreams. Um, one of them is a cupbearer. He's a super important guy because he's the guy who drinks out of the Pharaoh's cup before the Pharaoh drinks out of it. So like, he's like to make sure that it's not poison. Um, and, uh, and, and he has a dream, he has a dream. He's, um, putting the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Um, the, uh, the baker, the second guy is the baker. He, he baked for Pharaoh and, uh, and, and he has a dream as well. Um, and, uh, and Joseph says, okay, guys, here's the deal. 
um, God has given me the interpretation of your dreams and cupbearer, you're gonna be restored to Pharaoh and baker, you're gonna be um, hung and the birds are going to eat you. And then it comes to pass. By the way, as a, as a uh, kid in Sunday school, I made a diorama of the uh, baker being hung. Um, I think I missed the whole point of the episode, but <clears throat> came to Christ later. Um, the, uh, Joseph talks with that cupbearer before he leaves and, uh, and Joseph says, remember me when you go before Pharaoh. But, uh, but he doesn't remember. He, he forgets Joseph because he's so happy to be out of that miserable, miserable prison. Now, the, uh, Prisons in the ancient world um, were not awesome. Um, they were places of, of disease and lice and it's no bathing. Joseph is never going to get out. His hair is, is matted. He is in really, really bad shape. Um, and uh, he is... One day the king himself has a dream. And in, in his dream, and I tell you, I wish, kind of wish you, all of us didn't know the end of this story. Because, you know, Joseph is just sitting there in despair and he's been forgotten. But Pharaoh has two dreams. First dream, he sees seven fat and healthy cows come out of the Nile and then seven skinny cows come out and they eat the fat cows and they still look skinny. And then he, has, he wakes up and then he falls back asleep and he has a second dream, seven healthy ears of grain. And then seven thin ears of grain appear and they swallow up the seven healthy ears of grain and he wakes up again. And this is not the kind of strange dreams that we all have, right? We, we wake up and you're like, man, that was such a weird dream. I'm gonna remember this dream, but then you forget it. But this is not those kind of dreams. Pharaoh wakes up and he's like, he can't get these dreams out of his mind. He knows that they mean something. And he's talking about it. Nobody can tell him what these dreams mean, but the cupbearer says, Pharaoh, I remember my sins. I, I blew it. There's a guy and I think he can interpret your dream. And so they get, um, they get Joseph and they clean him up because he's like filthy. They put him in new clothes. They bring him before the king. And Joseph tells the Pharaoh, God is giving you a message. There's gonna be seven years of amazing abundance and then seven years of famine. And you have to prepare for the famine during the days of abundance. And the Pharaoh says, you think you could help me prepare? And Joseph says, I can do it. And all of a sudden, Joseph, having been in prison, is now prime minister of the most powerful, prosperous nation in the world. And he thinks, God has punched my ticket. We are there. God has finally heard me. I get to leave behind all the pain and trauma of my past. He names one of his kids Manasseh, which means forget because God has allowed him to forget all of the pain in his past with his family. Does that sound familiar? 
you ever want to forget. So, then it gets weird because in God's providence, this is not just about the seven years of plenty and preparing Egypt because the famine is general and even Joseph's family is affected by the famine. And so this famine grinds on for a while and who shows up to buy grain? Joseph's brothers. And it's this weird exchange. I, I can't even get into like what his motivations are, but he's like going back and forth with them. He's accusing of being spies. Who are you? And of course he's trying to find out about his family. He's trying to find out about his dad and he's trying to find out about his full brother, Benjamin. And he takes one of them hostage and says, I don't believe you unless you bring this other brother you're telling me about Benjamin, I'm not gonna believe you. And they go back to the dad and they say, hey, we, we gotta take Benjamin to get this our other brother out. And, uh, and dad's like, I don't know about that. But then they run out of food and they're like, okay, all right, let's go do it. So Benjamin goes with them. Now they're gonna meet with him again. Now, of course, they don't recognize Joseph. He looks like an Egyptian. Matter of fact, he's likely speaking to them through an interpreter. He's unknown to them, but they are not to him. They show up with Benjamin. He goes through this whole rigmarole. He hides a cup in Benjamin's bag. He lets him go. He sends out riders, says, you've stolen my master's cup that he uses for divination. The whole thing is just crazy. You know, and he brings them back and he's like, I'm gonna take Benjamin. And they're like, you can't take Benjamin. And then Judah, we didn't have chance to go into, read Genesis 38. Judah is a scumbag beyond scumbags. He's a horrible, horrible person. He's not just a garden variety person who's not following God. He's a bad guy. And Judah says, no, you will take my father down to the grave if you take Benjamin. Take me instead. I will be your slave. Let Benjamin go. I don't think Joseph was expecting that. All right. That's the setup for the scripture reading. Okay, here we go. That was the introduction to the sermon. It's hard for me to read. It's never been easy for me to read. Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. He orders everyone out. No one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He orders all the Egyptians out. His brothers have no idea what's going on. And he weeps aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, in Hebrew, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him before they were dismayed at his presence. This is Joseph, we're done. He is going to have us all pulled apart. And as Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they come near, they're just, I can't imagine, they're like trembling. He said, 
I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now, this is what they cannot hear yet. Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land two years, there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son, Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. You shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. Then I will provide for you. For there are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. Joseph going to Egypt was a rescue operation to save his brothers and to save one brother in specific. That horrible, vile Judah and he not only saved his life, he saved his heart. Judah's heart was broken and he repented. And that is why Judah was there because it is, it is from Judah that the Savior will come. It is through the line of Judah, not the line of Joseph, that God will bring his saving grace to all of us but I want you to pay attention to how this works because Joseph's brothers had a plan, but God had a secret plan. And when Joseph is talking to his brothers, he doesn't say, you have done a great evil, but God has looked upon the wreckage and he's fixed it to work some good. He does not say that. He says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And this is really hard to understand because we don't have the ability to do this. In everything, there are things that we're doing and then under the waterline is what God is doing. God is in control. Uh -huh, this is providence. He's in control. Does that mean that his brothers actually did something good? No, they did something evil. It was a terrible, terrible sin. They had an evil plan, but God had a secret good plan. And Joseph never could have predicted how this was going to go. Just like the passage in 1 Peter this morning do not think that you will never suffer. If you tell the truth, if you live according to the truth, according to God's word, you will suffer. Joseph suffered for telling the father, his father the truth about his dreams. He suffered for living truth and staying out of bed with his master's wife. And the Bible is full of stories of saints suffering for righteousness. Somehow we get this idea, this that like, okay, 
if we live righteously, we're not going to suffer. We even tell our kids that sometimes. We say, always tell the truth and good things will happen. No, sometimes we'll tell the truth and very difficult things will happen, but ultimately it's for the good. We should always tell truth. Why? Because we trust Jesus. Jesus says, all men will hate you because of me. In Revelation 14, it says, there are those who are before the altar of God. They overcame the accuser by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. But our suffering has a purpose. It's always purpose. We're, you're never, I, you, I, none of us are ever suffering randomly. And it may seem meaningless. We may not understand. It may be years. It may be eternity where we come to understanding. And sometimes we do understand things even in the now. But God has a purpose. And that purpose is for good. We don't know in advance what God has in store. What we know is if we belong to Jesus... The secret plan of God is for our good, the good of our fellows, and it's for the glory of God. That's why the Bible says we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. How do we know that? Because he promises it to us, and we know that he always keeps his promises. He kept his promises to Joseph. He's gonna keep his promises to us. And I'm sure that there are people here today who can tell stories about great evil in their lives being worked for good. You see now that it was part of God's plan. I mean, who is it that understands pain? The person, you know, sometimes when you're sitting with somebody and you're like, that person really understands me. You know what? God probably brought them through very great pain so they could be at that place with you. However, And this is the part of the story that wrecks me, just be honest with you. Our suffering is rarely righteous. I long to think of myself like Joseph, but I'm not. I'm one of his brothers. I'm many times, it is our plans, it's my plans that God is working out for good. My, I had a selfish plan, God had a good plan. I had an evil plan, God had a good plan. And, we, and if you're like me, you don't like to think about yourself in that way. We like being innocent victims more than evil perpetrators. But if you pause for a moment and think about it, is there anyone in your life who could say, oh man, that person hurt me? Have your selfishness, your impulsiveness, mine, ever brought misery to somebody else? Mine has. Um, there are times where we have very little to do with the evil that comes into our lives, often when we are children or when we take a stand for righteousness, but we normally cannot claim to be as righteous as Joseph. And what can we do when we look back on the wreckage of our lives and see the pain that we've caused other people? How can it be set right? What can we do? God has a secret plan. He's working good even out of your sin. There is no 
evil or damage that you have done that God is not working in his secret plan for good. Does that mean that your evil is not evil? No, your evil is evil and my evil is evil, but even the great evil that I have done is part of God's secret plan. Think about this. It doesn't, it doesn't take the responsibility off of us. It just means that our sin doesn't take God off his throne. And think about this as well. You think about the story of Joseph and Joseph, you know, suffering, suffering for righteousness sake, suffering to save his undeserving brothers, asking his brothers to come close to him, pronouncing forgiveness on his brothers. Who does this sound like? Who is it who does that? Who, who does that? Who do you know who does this? Who, come on, somebody. I, I, I was gonna say, I'm not gonna walk down off the chancel my first Sunday at the new church. Here I am. So somebody tell, I want a young person to tell me, who is it that suffers um, righteously for your sin to save you? Who is it who pronounces forgiveness on you without, it says your sin is sin, but I forgive you. Who is it who does this? Jesus does it. Okay, guys, we're not Joseph. We're his brothers. What does Jesus say? God sent me to suffer for you, to save you. That's why I came. I, what does he say? In my father's house, there are many rooms. Jesus goes before us to prepare a place for us that is what Jesus does. Do you know what else Jesus does? He says, come live with me. Okay, he says, he doesn't just say, hey, you're saved and uh, see you in heaven, right? He doesn't do that. What does he say? He says, come live with me. Come into my body, come into the church, come into my people, be a part of this. Come to my table. That's what he says, come to my table. And what does he say? The land, what is the land of Goshen? This is the land of Goshen. Not the building, which, man, Randa, this is a nice building. I've told you before, this is really something, buddy. I mean, wow. But it's not, it's not the, it's not the building. It's come live here in the assembly of God's saints. And then what does he say about the land of Goshen? There I will provide for you. God has a plan to care for you and provide for you. And it's amongst his people. It's hearing his word preached. It's studying his word together. It's praying together. Jay was praying for those who are sick among us praying together, encouraging one another, uplifting one another, confronting each other in sin, being with one another. I've, you know, there, there have been times where I was so weak, I couldn't pray. I couldn't pray. I called my next door neighbor, Bryant Black, because my, sorry, you're used to it. My son, George, was sick, running such a high fever, and I was so scared I couldn't pray. And my brother came over and laid his hand on my son and laid his hand on me, and he prayed. 
This is the place. God, this is harder to do in a rope. This, this is the place. This is what Jesus calls us to. And Jesus is calling you. So right now, realize many of you have grown up in church, but I also know there's plenty of us who grew up in church and we don't get it. So I want to tell you right now, if you are becoming conscious of your sin, Jesus is offering you forgiveness. He's saying, come to me and I will forgive you. I will set you free. And some of you have been struggling. Maybe you're here in the midst of these people, but you never talk about what's going on. You never actually bring your burden. You never actually come to the table. Jesus is saying, come close, be a part. Allow me through my body to care for you. He's saying, the Lord's table, come and stay with me a while in the land of Goshen. And one day, remember this is before the Exodus, I will lead you out with great celebration and you will take your full inheritance. I will dry every tear from your eyes and all your suffering will end. And then you will see the end of my purpose. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us confidence in your care and in your purposes, in the strong and perfect name of the one whom Joseph prefigured, Jesus our King. We pray that you would pour out your spirit on this place. You would prepare our hearts to come to your table that you would give us an understanding of our sin and your goodness in the name of our King Jesus Christ. Amen.